Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Gracious Lord, as we look at Judas's confession in our sermon, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit to work through your word so that we do not become merely indignant at the injustice of Judas's actions, but that we may be warned by the example of the folly of his sin, so that we never fall into the same despair, but rather are made to always see the joy of confessing our sins to you and trusting in your grace. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 through 5. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he felt remorse. He brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders and said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, What is that to us? That's your problem. He threw the pieces of silver into the temple and left. Then he went out and hanged himself. This is the gospel history of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in our first sermon in this series, we learned about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, and that was about two weeks to two months before the events of our sermon text today. And the Sanhedrin gathered together. They were tired of all of the interest people were taking in him. What are we to do? What are we going to do? When the chief priest tells them exactly what to do, pretty much telling them, we've got to murder him. And they all agree to that. Now the problem is, because there's crowds following Jesus, they recognize that if they try to arrest him, it's going to get ugly. The crowds are going to riot on them. So they've got to figure out a way to get Jesus away from the crowds. They are waiting for that opportunity and not seeing it until Judas, who is seized by the love of money, comes to them and says, What will you give me if I betray the Lord? And they agree to give him 30 pieces of silver. That's where today's text comes into play. Judas must have hung around and saw the court that had taken place in which the Sanhedrin decides, Well, he's guilty of blasphemy. Let's go ahead and kill him, even though Jesus wasn't guilty of blasphemy. Finally, seeing that Jesus is going to be murdered, although we know that Jesus actually gave his own life, Judas despairs. And his confession makes our sermon theme for today. I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the interesting thing is the way Judas actually says that. Allow me to translate the inspired Greek that Matthew records this in rather clunkily. Verse 4, while saying, I've sinned by my betrayal of guiltless blood. It's very interesting, the Greek verb that Matthew chooses to record what Judas said, because that verb means undeserving of punishment, and hence it means more than innocence. A person can be innocent of the crime that they're accused of, and yet still be deserving of punishment. What do I mean? Let me give you a few examples. When I was younger, I had a friend who was the county attorney. And I remember in a conversation in a class that he taught, his telling us that many times people who got pulled over for speeding, even though they were innocent that time, would pay the speeding ticket. Why? Because they knew the hundreds of times they had been speeding and, and the policeman didn't have his gun on or they simply got away with it. And so they figured, I've been guilty so many times in the past, I'll just pay it. I deserve it. It's interesting because this is pretty much what happened with one of the most famous mobsters in history, Al Capone. It seemed that a lot of problems kept pointing to him, but finding the proof was like trying to hold jello between your hands. And so what did Al Capone finally go to jail for? Income tax evasion. And the irony is you don't go to Alcatraz for income tax evasion. People didn't care what the crime was that finally got him in prison. 
He deserved the punishment. It's just that it was very hard for them to nail down the proof of it. And when they found anything, they went for it. But see, Jesus is guiltless. He's undeserving of punishment. And this again reminds us of the whole purpose of the temple. Every day, the temple began with the sacrifice of a lamb that came out of the treasury. That lamb was guiltless, but it, the guiltless animal, was sacrificed to redeem the sins of the nation of Israel. The temple ended every day with the sacrifice of a lamb. That was the same thing. The Passover lamb that Jesus celebrates the night that Judas betrays him was to be unblemished without defect. Brothers and sisters in Christ, again, by his confession, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood, Pilate is confessing more than mere innocence. He's confessing absolute guiltlessness. People can't look at Jesus and say, well, they're killing him for the wrong thing, but he had it coming. Jesus was guiltless. And that's important for you and I, because you and I are guilty every day of even thinking sinful thoughts that make us unholy. But the guiltless one, like the lambs I mentioned, went boldly to the cross so that he could take your guilt upon his shoulders, be punished for your guilt, and yet also give you his guiltlessness. Now the sad thing is, is when Judas makes this confession, what is the chief priest's response? They say, what is that to us? That's your problem. Sadly, what they should have said is, there are sacrifices that will remind you of the coming Savior. What they should have said, which they weren't going to do because they were busy trying to murder him, is, hang on, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the guiltless one, is about to be put on the New Testament altar, and he will take your guilt away. But instead, all they could do was focus on their own murderous intentions. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Judas saying, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood, is confessing more than mere innocence. It's confessing that Jesus is guiltless of any crimes ever of any punishment, and so he is perfectly able to take our guiltiness upon himself and bear that punishment for us and credit us with his guiltlessness. And that's truly what Judas needed to hear. But brothers and sisters in Christ, the sad thing is, Judas refused to hear that anyways. And really, his confession is a confession of faithless regret. Back to my clunky translation of the Greek at verse 3. Then Judas, specifically Jesus' betrayer, after he saw that Jesus was condemned, was brought to a change in what he was concerned about. Notice how I've translated that. Some English translations have used the word repent. Judas repented. I don't like that because I like to save the word repent when we're talking in a biblical context for what the Bible means. And the Bible actually in the New Testament uses a different verb for repentance than what's used here. The biblical verb for repentance is metanomoio. It means to have a change of mind. And that change of mind involves having faith. See, there's the narrow sense of repentance. And you have to have the Holy Spirit in your heart. You have to have the new man to have that. You see, regularly what we call repentance outside of the Bible is actually just regret. What I mean is this. If a person gets caught in a crime and now they know they're going to jail, the fact that they don't want to go to jail will make them regret the crime. You and I having to suffer sometimes the consequences of our sinful folly might regret it, 
But there's something more to it when you and I are believers. And that's that Greek verb metanomoio in its context. It means the Holy Spirit is in your heart so you have a new man. And when that sinful nature gets its sin in, its sucker punch, the new man's attached to God. It doesn't just regret the consequences of the sin and the people it's hurt. It regrets the fact that it's sinned against a holy God who loves them and has saved them. So the narrow sense of biblical repentance really is not just regretting the consequences, it's truly regretting that we've sinned against a holy God because we have that new man and cling to that God knowing he's our savior. And that gets us into the wider sense of biblical repentance and this is truly what Judas is missing. The wider sense is not just having what I just mentioned, it's also because it knows that God is its savior it trusts in God for forgiveness, knowing God has forgiven it, and because it is saved, because we have that new person in us, the new man, we struggle not to do that sin. Now, the minute we make our repentance a condition for forgiveness, as in, if you're sorry enough, God will forgive you, then what we're truly doing is preaching regret. And we're making our own actions a condition, a work that we must do in order to be saved. God works true biblical repentance in our hearts. That's why it's called metanomoio. It's a change of mind because God gives us the new man who thinks totally different than our sinful nature. But that's not what Judas is doing here. Again, let me read. Then Judas, specifically Jesus' betrayer, after he saw that Jesus was condemned, was brought to a change in what he was concerned about. He regretted something, but it really he's changed about what he was concerned about. And what was he concerned about? We're told immediately. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. That silver had become his God. That was the thing that was most important to him. He went to the Sanhedrin to find out what money he could get for betraying the Lord. They offered him a price that apparently was enough to buy a field, and he was happy with that. And from then on, I think we can safely say he didn't even think about the consequences of what was going to happen to Jesus. He was focused on getting those 30 pieces of silver. They became his God. But when he's forced, confronted to see the consequences of that, in an unbeliever's eyes, it looks like Jesus is murdered by a kangaroo court. You and I know he voluntarily went to that cross, and he chose the moment he would give up his life for your and my sins. But again, seeing an innocent person, a guiltless person, is going to be murdered. Suddenly, that silver that was all that mattered was everything he was clinging to in this short period of time. It was the point of his life, if you will. Suddenly, those 30 pieces of silver stunk to high heaven to him, if you will. He tried to give it back. They wouldn't take it. Verse 5 says, And so after he hurled the silver into the sanctuary, that's literally the temple, he took off. This was blood money. This was unclean. It was an unacceptable sacrifice, just like presenting an animal with blemish and defect was not acceptable as a sacrifice to the Lord. He tried to cleanse himself of that money, but he went about it all wrong. And he'd have to hurl that money because... Once you got to the altar, only a priest who had been cleansed for the day and was without blemish or defect could go that far. And as you get into the, the inner sanctuary, the holiest of holies, only the high priest could go there after he had been cleansed through sacrifices. And he only went in there once a year. Judas tries to throw that in there and get that as far away from himself as he can and as close to the sanctuary as he could. But brothers and sisters in Christ, he's confessing a regret for having the money, but it didn't trust 
in Jesus' love. It didn't trust in forgiveness. It didn't trust that the guiltless lamb would make him clean. And we see that by the ultimate thing Judas does. Then he went out and hanged himself. I bring this up so that you and I can understand the difference between regret and repentance. We don't want to browbeat Christians just with regret and, and make them just feel guilty. And many people have endured that from Christians and resent them for it. And I'm sure you and I both have been guilty of doing that ourselves. But the truth of the matter is, when Judas says, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood, he's confessing more than mere innocence. He's confessing Jesus is guiltless. And if he had a faithful repentance, true biblical repentance, then he would be able to turn to that guiltless Lamb of God and know that his sins had been removed and trust that they were forgiven. Instead, the very act that he hangs himself, showing that he gives up on God being able to redeem him, he shows that he's confessing a faithless regret. Now, the last thing I want to cover as we talk about Judas, and again, I don't want to be talking about Judas just to say, look at what a bad guy he is. We, we, we have an example so that you and I can look and make sure that we, our brothers and sisters in Christ, don't fall into the same thing, is that ultimately Judas's life, especially in, in those three years he was with Christ, is really another confession. It's a confession of the folly of sin. See, sin does not make sense. Sin is utter true foolishness. And one of the things that Judas does that shows complete foolishness is how he's a master at masking his motives with opposites. An example of that is the fact that what led him to go to the Sanhedrin and ask how much they give him is, as Jesus is getting ready for Palm Sunday when he enters into Jerusalem, so six days before Judas will betray the Lord, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who Jesus had raised, which kicked off the whole Sanhedrin's murderous spree, Mary had anointed Jesus' feet with costly oil, costly perfume, if you will. In fact, it was worth 300 denarii, which is nearly a full year's wages for the average person. And he hides his concern when he sees that she's done this. He turns around and says that this should have been sold. In fact, John chapter 12, verses 4 through 6 tells us that Judas says, Why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Doesn't that sound pious? Doesn't that sound like he's truly concerned about taking care of those who are in desperate straits? But we find out real quickly he's simply hiding his sin with a pious platitude because we're told in verse 6 of John chapter 12, he did not say this because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. He held the money box and used to steal what was put into it. He wanted that perfume sold so that he, who was basically the treasurer of the 12 disciples, could steal some of it. And when he wasn't able to get it, that's when he goes to the Sanhedrin and says, how much are you going to give me if I betray the Lord? Brothers and sisters in Christ, isn't it sad that he masked his motives by actually trying to seem really Christian and really loving and really concerned? But let me give you another example of how good Judas was, what a great master he was of masking his motives with the opposite action. How does he betray the Lord? They need... Jesus to be separate from the large crowds, but Jesus seems to always be near the 12 who are falling around all the time. They also need to be able to separate him out with a minimal amount of confrontation. So Judas is going to betray the Lord. He's got to figure out a way to show the temple guard and the Roman soldiers that are with them exactly who the right guy is to arrest. Does he walk up and say, that's the man? 
No. Does he walk up and, and give the man a hug? No. Maybe today in, in America, men who ha are truly good friends don't kiss each other. The, the kiss is truly a sign of love, like a, a father kissing his daughter or a spouse kissing their spouse. It, it shows love. And Judas chooses a kiss to betray the Lord. The most intimate act of concern and care is used to do the most vile sin to betray guiltless blood. Now, why am I bringing out that Judas is a master of masking his motives with the opposite? It's to expose to us something of the folly of our own sin. Number one, for all the work that Judas put into masking his sin, if he'd have put a fraction of that mental effort into fighting the sin, he would not have fallen into the sin. It's a warning for us. The depths we'll go to to hide our sins or commit our sins without ever once thinking, gee, maybe I should put some of this work into not doing the sin. That's the way our sinful nature thinks. But I also do this to point out that you and I too can be guilty of the same thing. I remember a discussion I had with a man who was really concerned about people not knowing how much he gave in offering. And, and that's right, that's between you and the Lord. Now the church uses an offering envelope system with numbers. So the treasurer can just look at the number and record it. At the end of the year, if you need a tax receipt or something, you tell him your number. So this was kept very anonymous. But this man really even had a problem with offering envelopes. And, he really, and, and I could tell he really was bothered by it. Further discussion made it very evident by his own confession that truly the reason why he was so concerned about keeping offerings anonymous is because his wallet had not been converted. He was stingy. We often cover up things. We can scream that a congregation is not loving or something like that, when truly what we're actually showing is that we ourselves are not loving or setting an example, and we cover it up with pious platitudes. So here, Judas's actions are confessing the folly of sin and warning us about being the master of masking our motives with the opposite. Make sure that that's not what we're doing, and if we are doing it, don't spend the effort to go into it, but rather spend the effort to fight it, which only our new man can do. But brothers and sisters in Christ, Judas is also showing us the folly of ignoring the warnings. If you think that Judas just fell into betraying the Lord accidentally and, and without any, any forethought, you're wrong. All along, Jesus was warning him not to do this. In fact, in the Bread of Life Discourse, now the Bread of Life Discourse begins the day before, Jesus feeds the 5,000 men from a boy's lunch sack. Quite a miracle. Remember, they counted the men. That was easiest. They didn't count any women or children that were with them. So there was more than 5,000 people fed that day by the miracle. The next day, that whole crowd goes the other side of the lake to, to find Jesus. And they start demanding, give us miracle bread. And Jesus uses that to teach them that he's the bread of life who came down from heaven. And it's by faith in him that we get what we really need, and that's salvation. But when it's all said and done, the crowd says, this is a difficult teaching. Who can handle this? And, and most of them take off. He goes from the height of his ministry, if you will, to suddenly the low point. And he looks at the twelve and he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? And that's when Peter gives the wonderful confession for the whole group. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of everlasting life. And this is recorded in John chapter 6, verses 70 through 71. Jesus answered them, did I not chose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, one of the twelve, because Judas was going to betray Jesus. Again, Jesus, a full year before Judas betrays him, 
starts putting the speed bumps in the way and is warning him. The night that Judas betrays him, Jesus warns him, one of you is going to betray me. And Judas knows he's already planned to betray him because he's already talked to the Sanhedrin. They've already agreed to the 30 pieces of silver. Pretends that he's just as innocent as the other disciples, as he says, surely not I, Lord. And finally, Jesus even says, what you're about to do, do quickly. All along the way, the Lord is putting speed bumps in the way, warnings, don't go down this course of action. But Judas was guilty in his sinfulness of ignoring those warnings. This is a warning for you and I. God sends brothers and sisters in Christ when we're heading into the folly of our sin to curb our behavior. And yet how often is it when a brother or sister in Christ tells us, I'm concerned about this sin you're rushing towards, and we turn around and think something like, how dare you talk to me because I know that you're guilty of this other sin that I'm not struggling with. Or maybe they're warning us because they have committed the same sin and don't want to see us go down the road. How dare you, you hypocrite. Or sometimes when people come along and, and they warn us, we get mad because they're stopping us from our sin and we accuse them of false motives or we just simply ignore them ourselves. When we're heading towards a sin, and, and brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a sad thing. Judas embraced a sin. He embraced that sin more than he loved God. As we saw, money was his God. When we start heading towards a sin where we are embracing it and squeezing the Holy Spirit out of our heart, God will put speed bumps in our way. But when it gets difficult to do the sin, if we keep running towards it, you've got to stop maybe sometimes and pay attention and say, gee, maybe God is putting obstacles in my way of my sin because he's trying to stop me from doing it. We see here the folly of ignoring the warnings that God gives us, whether it's directly putting obstacles in the path of our course of action or sending brothers and sisters in Christ in to warn us. But the saddest thing is, is the big sin that Judas committed. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the biggest thing isn't that Judas betrayed the Lord. See, he could be forgiven of that. Let me give you an example using Peter. Peter denied the Lord three times that night. And he even took an oath that he didn't know the Lord. Now the commandment, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. God gave us his name. One of the reasons he gave it to us is so that we would have something precious and sacred that we could solemnly swear, for example, in the court of law, if we're trying to save life or protect neighbor's property, that we can swear we're telling the truth. But when we take an oath, what we are doing is saying, I will forfeit my eternal salvation if I'm lying. So think about how solemnly uh, Peter was taking an oath that he didn't know Jesus. And yet Peter's forgiven. Why is that? because he turned and trusted in the guiltless Lamb of God to take his guilt away. But Judas didn't do that. Judas didn't even let the Lord have the opportunity, shall we say, to work that repentance in his heart. Instead, he went off and hung himself. See, he doesn't have the Holy Spirit in his heart, and by hanging himself, he terminated the opportunity to ever have that Holy Spirit return to his heart. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, in modern times, we have found that, especially with the, the processed food and stuff we eat, that there's a chemical imbalance that causes what we call depression that can make people want to commit suicide. If taking a medication takes those thoughts away, that's a medical problem. Judas didn't have a medical problem. Judas had a spiritual problem, and he terminated his life before God, the great physician, could heal it. He took the problems into his own hands. So the great sin he committed was in his despair. 
He never did turn to the Lord and trust in him, and he made sure to terminate his life so that that would never happen. This is a warning for us, brothers and sisters in Christ. You and I can stand back and look at somebody else's sin and say, how foolish, how can they do that? And Sometimes when you and I have sinned, people say, why did you do that? And all I can say is, I don't know, because we have a sinful nature and it's foolish. But here we have a confession of the folly of sin and a warning so that when we fall into it, we can turn to the guiltless lamb of God and know that he took our guilt on and that he has given us his guiltlessness. And so Judas has given a wonderful confession. I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. And that's a confession of more than innocence. It's that Jesus is guiltless, never deserving punishment, but it's comfort for you and I because he is the guiltless lamb of God who took our guilt upon himself so that he could give us his guiltlessness. Judas's confession is not a biblical confession of repentance. It's a confession of a faithless regret. And that serves as a warning for us to make sure in our cases that when we have sin that we're happy to confess them to the Lord and trust He is our Savior, that the guiltless Lamb of God has taken our guilt upon Himself and given us His guiltlessness. And Judas ultimately is confessing the folly of sin. And we learn from that the foolishness of our sinful nature. And it makes us thankful that God has given us the intelligence of the new man who knows to confess its sin to God and to cling to that cross where the guiltless Lamb of God takes our guilt upon himself and gives us his guiltlessness. Amen. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, both soul and body, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Amen.